0: Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. Welcome, everyone. We are on the Flow Show. This is episode number 158. We got the man, the myth. We got Matt Kalish in the building. Matt, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I'm, it's busy. It's FOMO overload. There's so much going on in the world, sports, NFTs. I I, I don't even know where to start with you, uh, but thank you for making the time. Thank you for being here. And I guess we'll uh, we'll just kind of dive right in. For those that maybe don't know Matt, he is the, uh, you are actually the president and co-founder of, of DraftKings, major brand. Hopefully everyone knows what that is, but maybe just talk to me a bit about you and how you started in this how did you get into daily fantasy are co-founder with Jason Robbins and you know how did this come about how did you guys get in so early at the right time and just you know make the plunge whose idea was it give me the story and elevator kind of pitch
1: yeah what got me into it the quick version i guess of the story is i went to college starting in 2000 and i was playing internet poker from 2001 up until you know the the shutdown on black friday in the us Mm-hmm. It was always a big kind of part of what I did recreationally. And in addition, I was in the fantasy and really any game that was like competitive, not easily solved. And I didn't really come from money or anything. So I would start with, you know, I was depositing like 50 or or $100 here and there. I'd win, you know, a few thousand dollars. It was nothing crazy, but it was like a good supplement to, you know, my lifestyle at the time in college. And then, you know, uh, I did get a corporate job. I had actually four different corporate jobs after I graduated college. Uh, my third one was at Capital One, where I met Jason, uh, who's now our CEO. And then my fourth and final corporate job was VistaPrint, where we met Paul, and uh, we shared a lot of interests, a lot of hobbies, and uh, we were doing direct marketing analytics. You know, a bunch of stuff uh, in technology that was all very helpful to us to do something entrepreneurial. We were really just waiting and looking for the right idea. So it was 2011. I approached Jason with this idea of like, what if we built a fantasy game that you could draft every day, you know, something that's competitive, that is, you know, um, you know, for real money, you could play friends, you could play against the public, compete for potentially big prizes and kind of tap into some of the things I really liked about poker, which were, you know, it's competitive, it's skill-based, it's, you know, not easily mastered overnight and, you know, the potential to win big cash prizes. So, Jason instantly got into the idea. We brought Paul in the next day. Uh, within a day or two, we were spending our nights and weekends building the prototype and, you know, eventually raising money and getting ready to go live with DraftKings, which happened. Uh, it was baseball season of 2012. We launched, you know, the initial contest on DraftKings.
0: It's fascinating because, you know, myself, I-, I love sports. Also very similar Uh understanding, seeing that the fantasy, so many people, you know, the draft boards and people getting together and it was just this like craze, but that whole like season long fantasy, people get injured, people lose injured stuff happens. So, you know, it's just kind of brilliant to be there at the right place, right time. How worried, worried were you with the regulation though? Cause the gaming laws and you know, 2011 black Friday happens for poker. It's kind of unclear. How big a gamble was it on, on, in this aspect of what could happen in the future? Or did you guys just say the opportunity is too big? Let's just, let's just go for it. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of
1: industries when things grow quickly that are new. Sometimes the education isn't really there on like, what is this thing? So fantasy sports is a skill game. I think that's very well established at this point. Looking back in 2021, after going through all of what we've been through across 10 years, it's very well established. However, like two, three years in, I think there was a lot of question from people that maybe were hearing about daily fantasy for the first time. Like what is this game, right? So we went through that cycle uh, after three years of just really fast growth. I think our first three years we did it was like four million of revenue to thirty to like a hundred fifty. We were raising capital, acquiring millions of customers. You know, by 2015 we I think we had acquired eight million customers or something like that. Wow. So went from small to this is like kind of a almost household name. Lots of advertising, lots of awareness. And then uh, the years of like 2016 and 17 were very slow growth after that because there was a lot of catching up to do, I think, on, you know, the regulation, compliance, regulatory, everything that kind of came with maturing the industry. So as we sit today, there's like lots of really great, I think, oversight in, you know, all of our products, fantasy, sports betting, iGaming, states have stood up, you know, regulatory bodies. There's like good consensus on the type of consumer protection that should exist, like the rules of operating different products. But we were really on the ground, you know, in 2015, 2016, 2017, when a lot of that was shaping up. And, you know, really kind of were like the first ones who had to comply with what were a lot of new regulations. So it was a big part of the company for a few years. And we really took a step back in growth while we did all of that.
0: And and how, in terms of poker, because it is so similar with the heads ups, the you know, the uh, sit and go type formats, the multi tables. I mean, is this basically how you you decided and did you model it after poker because you had such a background in that? Was this sort of your idea uh, with that or, or how did you guys decide on the, the size of, of entries and, you know, who, who came up with that? Who came up with the different formats and variations?
1: So it was certainly inspiring. I mean, a lot of people who got involved with Daily Fantasy early on came from poker backgrounds. I yep. think like our, um, maybe like, ninth or 10th employee is uh, John Aguiar, who was at the time a a well-known poker player and one of my good friends today. Um, There was sites that got launched by, you know, professional poker players like uh, Taylor Cavey and Andrew Wiggins, for example, with Draft Day would be an example of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, lots of people from poker kind of saw this as what's next. And I don't think that they were wrong in the sense that, you know, there's millions of people who play fantasy sports. They want to do it competitively. Uh, it's a skill-based game where you can, you know, improve, get better. Um, you know, so there's lots of opportunity. I think in terms of like exercising that part of your brain that you know made poker so a- appealing. You know, and applying that to fantasy.
0: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. It really is fun. I mean, the yeah, you know, I do weekly stuff. So like generally with the golf. And that, to me, I'm not a huge golfer, but that's like one of the best games for fantasy and just really can apply to any sport. What what are the current, uh, what about soccer and, you know, foreign markets? Because soccer is so popular, football, if you will, in the world. You know, how, how is that in terms of implementing different sports and, and who, who kind of comes up with the, 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 the scale, right? Like is it passes or whether it's hockey, you know, the points that you award? You guys, are you taking off of other kind of industry standards or do you make your own formulas and, and, different sports? Uh, how, how do you decide on how to do this? You know, like some of the
1: sports we offer, like football had existing models, like people exactly. understood how fantasy football works. And then there were some things we did that really didn't exist. Like fantasy golf wasn't really a product right. that people were playing, you know, so Kind of almost invented the rules of how fantasy golf works, or UFC would be another example.
0: Yep.
1: Where you know we built a product, defined scoring rules, tried to make it better over time, and you know we've been in that situation a bunch where you know come up with a model where people can play DFS against some live content. You know, uh, esports would be another example as well. Like, how do you do an esports draft against Counter Strike or something? You know, right. and so we have a game team that really design a lot of the rules and they try to understand like how do you build a competitive fantasy game given like how it works in real life? Right. And you know sometimes we get it perfect, sometimes we've had to change rules over time, change the weight of different scoring and you know a big part of that is just taking feedback from our biggest players, trying to understand what they like or don't like uh, about the scoring. Pretty much throughout our history we've been very focused on US and like what is the most popular sports in the U.S. So most of our roadmap have really been just like following that. Uh, we do offer soccer products, but like the vast bulk of our business is U.S. and Canada, and so we've typically prioritized you know the most popular sports in those markets, and that's been you know to date really you know where our formula or our, our focus continue to be.
0: Yeah, that, that kind of leads me to next question about uh, with DK and other parts of the world, Europe, Asia barriers to entry in the countries and would you consider joint ventures to get them into key markets? Is this, is this a big kind of uh, future planning or is it just so complicated in in different, different regions? Uh, Is that, is that a big focus for DraftKings to expand now that they have a dominant footprint in the U S?
1: Yeah, I think it's an opportunity. Our brand is really strong in the U S and Canada. It's like literally the number one brand. If you ask, like if you go to um, like Montana and you ask people if sports betting opens up here, you know, where would you play first? DraftKings is the first name that comes up. And we have that brand strength in the U.S. from about a decade offering fantasy and just becoming kind of synonymous with if I want to win money on sports, I go to DraftKings, you know, and That strength exists in the U.S. and in Canada. And then when you get into European markets, we really haven't advertised and offered much product in those markets. So we just don't have that same kind of like unfair advantage, I guess you would say. Yeah. We've also seen like we've been able to extend our brand in the U.S. really well into new products. Like as we've uh, sort of launched sports betting, for example, instantly kind of had a good a good initial start. Same with iGaming. Same with even uh, NFT marketplace that we recently did. You know, our relationship with the customers that we've been serving has been something that we felt like we could build on and grow. And so the opportunity in the U.S. is like so big that we haven't really um, had the time or desire to like extend globally yet. Although I do think that that's something that could be in the cards down the road.
0: Very cool. And tell me about your transition into president. So, you're co founder, and then you were the, if I'm not mistaken, the chief revenue officer 2014 till 19. So, how did that kind of shift from you to go from that role to president? What was the the main reason behind that? And, or is it just kind of, you know, where the attention you wanted to shift focuses at that point?
1: Yeah. So, the way we think about the business is, you know, we want to onboard millions of customers onto our platform. And through a single account, single relationship, we want to be able to offer a variety of different like entertainment products, games, services, whatever, through that relationship. Everything we do is pretty aligned with the general idea that like our customers, a skin in the game sports fan, they're not going to just want to sit there and watch like uh, NFL for no reason. They want to predict things in the game. They want to compete. They want to play against their friends. They want to try to win big prizes, you know, that kind of. Uh, customer that we think there's tens of millions of those people. And what they're doing is, yes, what we offer, fantasy, sports betting, iGaming, more recently like NFT, you know, trading. They're doing a lot else too, you know, crypto, for example. They're playing poker. They're playing, you know, big horse racing events. They're doing lots of things in and around this idea of like they want skin in the game. And so what we did with our organization was focused it around, like acquire millions of customers into the tent and then continually expand the kind of products and offerings that we do all under the idea that, you know, what DraftKings bring to the table is these like risk reward propositions uh, and ways to get basically skin in the game on sports that you love or
0: other forms of entertainment. Very cool. Um, and tell me what you love or enjoy, I guess, most about your job. You know, all the, the growth DraftKings has experienced, you know, how have you managed to, you know, kind of, I guess it's a passion for you. I imagine all this stuff, sports, entertainment, NFTs, you know, what is the most enjoyable thing about what you do? I
1: think just being 10 years in my partners and I like Jason and Paul have throughout the whole tenure, you know, been able to really build towards and realize this vision that we have, which I was just describing, which is like, there's tens of millions of really uh, like I would say underserved people in the U S who are looking for ways to engage with sports looking for skin in the game and that it kind of like sucked 10 years ago to be that type of person in the U S there wasn't a lot of, a lot of sort of methods to get that kind of engagement. Maybe you were playing ESPN season long fantasy, or you had like an offshore sports book account and you had to jump through some hoops to even like be able to do that local bookie, whatever. Some people would like literally move to Vegas or they'd have to move to Canada or Mexico to even engage in the kind of products that they wanted So like being a part of that sea change in the U.S. and being able to see through our vision as regulations changed, as like the products that are available in our markets has changed and being on the leader, the leadership kind of front of all of those products as they've opened up, that's been really rewarding. And also the fact that, you know, the founders still lead the company, that we still control the roadmap. Over the next 10 years, I think like the vision that we have will continue to come into shape like it can be hard to you know raise a bunch of money, go through a lot of growth, go public, and still retain control of like the vision of the company and the roadmap. Yeah, and as long as we have that, I think that puts us in a really special class of companies, like a uh, Snapchat or you know, like the very few that are actually still able to be founder-led after growing to be you know ten billion plus dollar valuation companies
0: for sure. And tell me about the the battle with. With uh, Fanduel, which I to be to be fair, I really don't hear so much anymore. It does seem like DraftKings did kind of come become clear number one. And there was also a period of time where you guys were every every advertisement on TV was one or the other. And then it, and the, the regulation kind of came in. It was just overbearing. Like there was so much going on. And then there was a, talks about you guys uh, partnering, right, to become like a, a joint thing. Can you, you kind of describe the relationship with Fanduel and sort of the, the history of that battle and, and who was first in and how you guys have kind of emerged as the the winner?
1: Yeah, in the U.S., I mean, FanDuel and DraftKings are really the two brands that are thought of, you know, the question I was saying earlier, like, where do you go if you want to win money on sports? These are the two brands that come up first, right? And that's been the, I guess, Coke versus Pepsi of our industry for a while. And it's always nice to have, like, a good, credible competitor, somebody that, like, pushes you to be better. Because as much as we think that, you know, when we're working with our team – we can inspire. We can get great performance. There's really nothing like having a great competitor alongside you, pushing you to bring out the best in people. So, always really like valued the existence of of Fanduel and having a great rival there. And they've been through a couple, I think, uh, stages. You know, early on, they kind of were a founder started company. Nigel Eccles was CEO. A lot like us, they started three years earlier started, you know, exposing fantasy into the U S building an audience. It took us years to get to the same size as them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by 20, I believe it was like 2017, they had a big change, which was they got acquired by Betfair, you know, the European gambling company. So now FanDuel is kind of like a different version of what it was, you know, earlier in the 2010s. FanDuel is now part of the biggest gambling company in the world, you know? So that gives them a whole bunch of, I think, benefits. It also, I think, changes the the dynamic of the company a bit. And, you know, they've been extremely effective, I think, in in attracting, retaining customers in the U.S. And that's been, you know, a company that we've been able to learn from and just continue to get, like, sort of motivation on in terms of, like, how can we be better? Just looking for things that maybe, like, FanDuel does well that we should be doing better and thinking about, like, what are our advantages and what do we do best? Very
0: very cool, and I got to ask you about NFTs. I mean, this is we see here. Yeah, it's it's on your you know your avatar. We got we got this. It, it's just it's a part of. I know who you who you are. You've made some statements about it and how much you enjoy it. Where did you find NFTs? When did you first get into it? And and what makes you so bullish on this market? Yeah, the two things that got me into it because during COVID I started collecting cards. Like behind me, I have all my. it's a bunch of like sealed product i got some stuff there too i'm obsessed i love sports cards kind of like a childhood memory and getting back into it is becoming so popular now it's also like a way of sort of betting right you like buy it's like oh this guy is it gonna go up or you know you make a a a bet on zion or someone and buy a bunch of them and hopefully it goes up so yeah it's fascinating i I think it's so fun and yeah please tell me more about like that 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 part of your enjoyment
1: yeah i mean honestly i could easily be on the like that show about hoarders you know who just have like (laughs) Like literally everywhere in my office is like cards. I'm going to turn my screen, like stack of like, you know, (laughs) sealed stuff that I'm putting in acrylic cases. It's absolutely stupid in my office. And like the fact that I can do any work in here is just amazing. (laughs) So during COVID though, is really when I picked it up heavy. And I think the whole market for physical, you know, sports cards, collectibles really, kind of mooned in q1 it was like growing super fast you know q4 last year
0: yeah and then the last then, dance comes out and then and like and, and yeah covid at the right and like all this stuff goes bananas in february or so and i think that yeah it was a good time to pick up a new hobby and sort of dive into that stuff so um that, that's literally when it turned on like you had you didn't have sports cards much for the last 10 20 years you weren't doing anything with it not too much it
1: was honestly like to be honest, I never even really had the money to be going around buying like collectibles and cards too much until it was really just in the last two years. Our right. company went public; it was like a little easier to invest in some hobbies I had. Right, and so you know, anyway, I bought some cards. I was like getting more into the industry. I became friendly with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who was also at the same time. He was like, "Oh, I have a bunch of Jordan rookies." Um, he was investing in cards heavily, right? And you know, as NBA Top Shots as, you know, CryptoPunks and some other early, like, high awareness NFT projects started popping up. This was, like, February and March last year, or this year. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really when I started diving in and saying, like, I kind of like where this digital collectible space is going, the NFT space is going. I have these stacks of cards behind me. I'm almost like a warehouse manager. It's like... Uh, you know, hard to even maintain and
0: keep track. A great business, and I know there's people doing sort of this thing because it is. I remember back when when I was a kid. I, I'm 35. I'm not sure. Are you? You're. You're. I just old. turned 40. Okay, but like it was, there wasn't a lot of ways to do it. That's one of the things that's so exciting now is the information, right? Like you can scan it or upload it. You can see there's like prices what where it's at quicker. It's hard though to display your cards. I feel like this is something that it's similar to like pictures as well. You know, you have so many pictures like there was a way to like display it on a wall or a case, but even then it's not, doesn't really make sense. It's kind of hard. Like like you have so much cool stuff there, right. But they're like in boxes. Like that's something that's like tricky for me though. Cause they, and then you have it like tucked away and you want to be proud and show it. Like that's <laughs> what's cool about NFTs and you know, use your avatar and kind of flex. And it's like fun and shows your personality a bit and all this stuff. But like cards, it, it just, you know, if I were to come there and hang out and like, it would be kind of tedious to go through and, and just show me what you got and go through. What are your thoughts on that? Cause that, that is one thing I have a little trouble with hundred percent. I mean, this was kind of like the early because once you get aside
1: from the fact of it's a digital collectible, can I just like copy and paste it and own it or whatever, which is like the first phase a lot of people go through, takes you maybe a week to get past that phase. Yeah. And you're like, okay, here's what is great about digital collectibles. One is really easy to maintain your collection. Like I don't have to worry about half the things that I do, uh, like storage. Um yeah maintenance of the stuff what if things get ruined grading um when you ever want to transact something it's easy right if i want to sell my cards i'm on ebay or something i'm making listings dealing with paypal payments whatever crypto and nfts is quick i mean i could sell something out of my collection that's worth you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in one minute and it's just not right um being able to actually show your collection to people is totally different ball game. Like I could easily share with anybody in the world my entire NFT collection if I wanted. Mm-hmm. I can figure out what I want to feature on social, et cetera. You just can't do that in the same way with physical collectibles, physical art, unless somebody's like in your house checking out like right. what you like, they probably don't know that much about
0: what right. you like. And then, and then it's maybe inconvenient because maybe you have it kind of you know tucked away or like you don't want if you're in an office or in your home and you have you know, people coming through or cleaning or something. So it's like, you got to like put in a safe or do something. And I, I don't know. That's the one part that I don't quite get. And I do think there is, I guess I want to know what your thoughts are. What What is like, what do you, what's your pie chart of collectibles, NFTs versus sports cards? And now with NFTs, is it shifting? Because does it, are you still like, I like to have the physical ones a bit. And would you say it's 50-50? And are you sort of segueing one way or the other? If you had to go from now on, give me a bit of uh, in, insight on how you would view the NFTs versus card collecting like in terms of what you, what you feel makes more sense.
1: I would say like my pie chart is I'm probably like 80% plus in digital. 20% in like physical cards and and art. And like, yeah, I guess the way I was thinking about that is I don't know if I intended for it to be that much, but the digital side just grew in value a lot this year. And so it kind of ended up that way. You know, I didn't like initially put it in at that ratio, but the values have just changed a lot. Right. you know, within the digital side, I would say like CryptoPunks are my biggest, probably like a little over half of what I'm holding is CryptoPunks. And then like the rest is a mix of, you know, popular projects like Bored Apes and Art Blocks, um, yep. build, like a little bit of, of coins, not too much, just like pure coins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do own a little bit there. And then I've recently got into like yield farming and some other things that I think are kind of interesting DeFi projects that are fun. Yep. Most of it, I like my going in assumption, and like I would recommend this of anybody is. Like if you're going to be super disappointed to lose like 90% of what you put into a given project, like you're doing it wrong. Right. I go in assuming I'm losing all my money. Like every. It's second. like an
0: investment though, right? Yeah. It's like, or a poker tournament. Like if you hit, it's funny. Cause like you might go big on crypto punks or big on an altcoin or yielding or whatever. And then like one or two may like really moon. And then, you know, some, or you might double, it's very similar, I think in that sense, but exactly. you got to be willing to lose it because there is a lot of stuff that's not going to work out probably or. Won't, won't hold its value, so it's. And I've also read some notes, and you you really to this kind of motto, and I think Gary V as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you gotta love it, right? You gotta buy and do what you enjoy and what you like, right? Because it's some of it won't work out, so it's got to speak to you, and you kind of collect what you like, and obviously you want to make good bets and think good investment, but you also gotta kind of enjoy it, because like some of the stuff, if it doesn't work and you love it, it's okay. So is that is that fair to say? Is that kind of how you look at it?
1: Yeah. Like I enjoy the process itself. I don't like the idea of losing money on an investment doesn't bother me. Like it's something cause I try to keep it in the right compartments. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if I buy something that goes down a lot, it's usually like, I'm expecting that outcome a lot. Right. The fact that people have stories, like I made a thousand X on an NFT or I made a hundred X or like the fact that those stories exist, like necessarily means that there's a lot of stories of things went to zero or they lost 90% because otherwise it's just too easy, right? The world doesn't work that way. We all know the world doesn't work that way. If you could just make a hundred X on everything without like bad things ever happening, then there'd be like infinite amount of money in the world and everybody would be billionaires. right? Like, right. We know it doesn't work that way. So yes. like the fact that the stories of like hundred X thousand X exist that means you should expect to lose all of your investment a lot anytime you're buying an n f t yeah so, yeah i've I've become very comfortable with that, so it's almost like the pockets of the community that I've connected with are the ones that almost can find like the um i know it sounds weird, but like the humor in that like part of the culture in crypto is like oh I got rugged on this project and it went to zero or like. You got to be able to poke fun at yourself when you buy something that doesn't work out. Because if right. you're just like
0: feeling it too much, it's just not not the right relationship with the product. I think it's similar in poker. A lot of lessons as well about life and variance and, and odds and statistics and understanding the highs and lows. Right? Like you can't get too h- hung up on a really good score or if something goes goes poorly. You got. I think that's something poker teaches you uh, as well. I don't know if would you agree. What are some lessons from poker? that you think translate well into your business and everyday life that you learn while you were, you know, playing for the stretch seriously?
1: Yeah, poker was, like, really important to how I think about things, whether it's, like, business, personal investment, personal responsibility, whatever. But, like, you know, I grew up in a family that wasn't highly educated. It was, like, my parents were military. They didn't go to college. And my dad taught me how to gamble in, like, in math. I learned math from gambling from, like, how my dad explained it which cool. was like explaining blackjack and why you do things, uh, learning poker. Um, and also just like the relationship with gambling. So he would, would go to Vegas for example, and he would be like, yeah, you don't just sit at the table the whole time. Like that's fucking stupid. You're going to, if you just sit there, you're going to just lose all your money. And it's stupid. Like you gamble for a little bit, then you go like look at a show and then you do this, you know? So it was like about how to engage with it as well.
0: You're right. Um, uh, Take advantages some comps and and some you know get, get the most out of your time there for sure. Yeah, that's that's great I and mean, that's good advice. That's, yeah, that's yeah.
1: And then like I got to college and I had like more time than money, which is not necessarily true for everyone, but like for me at that time it was. And
0: I watched Rounders, that movie with like Matt Damon, that's, which got me into internet. Got me into career. poker as well. Same exact thing. Money maker time, right? Like or as well. Two thousand three, maybe it was a little earlier for you, but like that. Yeah, that that Rounders movie. That, I mean that was to me it was all time. It was so so well done. And I, I actually I would say a high percentage of people I know got in because of that movie, which is which is interesting. So, yeah,
1: it was it was eye opening. I know that like if you watch it today, it doesn't have it's kinda like silly and doesn't have a lot of uh like the way the game exists in that movie isn't like realistic anymore. But at the time I didn't have any context for poker. So it was like, This is cool, I can just learn how to play a game really well and earn money and like you know play when i want whatever and that was right when internet poker like started popping up as well paradise poker i think was the first one i used yeah so anyway because i had so much time i just like learned the game while i was in college and over the summer and by the time moneymaker won and the boom happened i was like somewhat reasonable like not the best but i was competent enough to like basically show up and collect money from internet poker for a few years I think like everybody who is reasonably competent was making money in like 20, 2005, right?
0: Yeah. 2003, thousand four, five. 2004, was four 2004. years. You just had any common yeah. sense. You were going to do okay on there. It's interesting. You mentioned paradise. They made a book, the guy, Ben, I believe Ben Misrich, if I'm pronouncing it right, who did bringing down the house. They, he made a book called straight flush. And it's the story of fraternity brothers. I think Montana or somewhere like the, so they, they, they went down and moved to Costa Rica and built this billion dollar company. I think it could be a great movie. Actually, like it's a niche market poker, but it's like that's a, I mean what else that's a great storyline. Frat Brothers move to Costa Rica, turn into a billion dollar company like the Rise and Falls. Got all the the makings. Maybe DraftKings could, could sponsor it or do it and you know, maybe they one of the guys, you know, goes into I don't know. I, just an idea, but that That could be a great, great movie. I don't know if you know that story of those guys, but it's uh it was it was a book made by Ben Mesrich. Have you read that by any chance? Yeah, I haven't
1: read it yet, but I'll have to put that on my list. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I know their their story at a high level. And yeah, when I first downloaded it, it was like a desktop app, you know. And yeah. I think the big game was like 2040 limit hold'em. Mm-hmm. They had tournaments up to $109 sit and go tournaments. Nothing that was like multi-table at all. So the games obviously changed a tremendous amount, but you know, at that time it was it felt like it was possible to get to the top, you know, because like the game the biggest games weren't like so unreachable. And so I always kind of viewed it like a ladder of, like, can I get to, like, higher levels and, you know, be deliberate on bankroll management and be smart and try to just kind of, like, get better. And I took it pretty seriously up until maybe, like, Black Friday. And then, you know, now when I play poker, I play every hand and I don't really care. I just, like, you know, I'm playing for fun. I want to, like, make a a few plays. I want to try to make big hands. Don't really care if I'm, like, leaking. Right.
0: Um, Pure entertainment. Is that? Is that, do you play any World Series events? Do you ever get in a tournament? I know they take a long time or any, does it interest you to play a high roller or any of these things like one or two day tournaments and just go or just haven't really had the chance? Uh, was that something you might dive back into at some point? Yeah,
1: since COVID I haven't, but I like, I like the idea of jumping back in and I have some games at my house. I have a poker room in my house. Nice. So I'd say like mostly it's more close, close knit and just kind of like, I try to play with mostly people who are also like not trying too hard at this point. So, you know how it is, right? It's like, you don't want to be the only one not trying and you're playing against you know a bunch of people who are just like really, really, you know, yeah. That's a famous eventually.
0: rounder's quote, right? You don't want to be, if you're the guy at the table, I, you know how it goes. You don't want to be, be that guy. Cause it's also important, right? You either want to be in or out. And if you're, if you're not like taking it super seriously, yeah, you don't want to go and show up at the Blasio or Ari and just like, fire against a bunch of guys that are studying solvers and stuff. So I, I think that that makes that makes uh, perfect sense. I want to ask you about your MBA from Boston College and undergraduate training in economics and computer computer science. How do you feel that, you know, do you think that's helped you in your career or hindered you at all? Uh, anything in particular that stands out that was, you know, that, that you think is a plus or minus by by doing that with what you're doing now?
1: The way I did my MBA was like a night program while I was working, which is for me that I always thought made more sense because like at the time I felt like I was gaining a lot by actually working. Mm -hmm. A big part of that was like earning money, but then also like the experience you get from working and like really applying skills, you know, like it's one thing to study a topic. It's another thing to like really be executing and operating, right? And so my job at the time I was at Capital One, I was in an analytics job. And yeah, I felt like I was picking up a lot of like real knowledge about how to run a company, how to like manage people, et cetera. And then I did my MBA at night and I thought I picked up some interesting skills. It was like I could probably have taken or leave it, take it or leave it looking back. But at the time I thought, you know, hey, this is nice. I get to learn more about each function of a company. Um I can learn about like a finance team, accounting, whatever, like these different areas that I wasn't working in. And like maybe in the early days of DraftKings, when there's only four people and everyone's doing everything, it's helpful to have like a little bit of knowledge of every part of an organization. So I guess I got like something out of it, but it wasn't like the top thing I would reference as like where I learned the most. I would say it's probably more things like poker, learning how to think about risk reward, uh, how to think about results orientation. Um, not like changing your decision framework too much, regardless of the amount of money that you're talking about. Right. You know, like these sort of
0: things, I think, were more formative. Very cool. Sorry, I want to. I got so many questions. I know you have such limited time. Uh, I I just kind of bouncing all around, but I do want to ask more about again the, the the NFTs and also props and drops because you are with Gary V on this project, and Gary V is someone I actually haven't met, but one of my uh, Jason Kuntz, you may know him uh, from Outia yeah. Sports, who's one of my very very good friends. I know him. And Gary do stuff with cards, and I think he even kind of was helping him on the early on stages, and maybe still some. Uh, what's that like doing a, a podcast? Because you know it's hard to schedule with people, but you have a busy schedule. Gary has a super busy schedule. How do you guys find time to uh, to do it? Do you just kind of randomly do it, or do you actually like plug in dates in the future and say like, "Hey, like just be free"? And and how does that work? It seems almost impossible between your guys' schedule. Because I know we had to reschedule a few times. You know, I've been all over the place. You've been you got stuff going on, so I'm just just give me a little look into how light, how that is to to do that.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like we both have a bunch of stuff, you know, happening. Like DraftKings is growing really fast. We have lots of uh, I don't know. It's probably like a seventy eighty hour a week sort of deal. Just operating at DraftKings. Gary same way with VaynerMedia, V friends. He's got a million things going on. Yeah. We made the commitment to like a couple times a month we need to be able to carve off some time and make this podcast, uh, got together a few times, you know, and like, that was just a commitment we made because we thought that this topic right now with what's going on in culture is so important. And there was no great uh, like content out there, podcasts, whatever that we're really talking about, you know, NFTs, collectibles, sports cards. Like we couldn't, we couldn't like let the opportunity pass to play a bigger role in that movement. So yeah, we started making the first one, I think it was in June, May or June, made like 12 podcasts now, just talking about current events, collectibles, NFT, um, people's relationship with NFTs and the expectations you should have. Uh, and as we've gotten more into it, I've sort of like started feeling everybody has opinions on what what's going to go up next, what the best projects are, whatever. And there's a void in even just like how to think about this space you know like how to think about your relationship with nfts almost similar to like thinking about your relationship with poker i remember early on like you can learn how to play all the hands perfectly but you might not be thinking about bankroll management or you might not be thinking about game selection or whatever right or you might not be thinking about which format best fit the way that you play and uh it's as important to think about your relationship with crypto and nfts and like how to play it as it is to just pick interesting projects and hope that they go up so, I found that over time, we've started talking more about that and been like thought leaders on that topic, which has been probably the piece that
0: I've enjoyed the most about doing it. That's cool. Cause you know, I started a, I have my, this main podcast and then I started one with, with, um, Brian Rast. I don't know if you're familiar with him and poker, how much you know about poker, but very good friend yeah. of mine, very sharp guy. He actually, you know, in crypto as well. And it's fun, but I, we kind of had the idea where I was like, look, we talk a lot anyway and we talk about these subjects anyway. So, why not sort of, you know, record it or, or have a, uh, content out of it is that, is that sort of similar do you and gary talk a lot about these subjects and you were just kind of like hey let's do a podcast so we can we can do that is that, is that kind of the, the line of thinking on it as well you guys just to, to yeah we're kind of taking different?
1: our text text message thread and yeah. th- into a podcast which yeah. is like for me not something i would have historically done but gary like his whole life is pretty much on social media and he doesn't yeah. have a lot of um like He chooses to not have a lot of boundaries you know so he'll be comfortable with being followed having camera on him all the time Mm -hmm. and so like yeah we basically just moved our text thread into a podcast and then you know started engaging more people and now we're getting questions we're getting you know uh requests to talk about different topics so like the listener of the podcast is now influencing more of what we talk about but initially that was basically the idea yeah
0: very very cool and i and just quickly because i am purely crypto punks. So we're in a fund with, we have a you know a handful, a good good number of punks and it's, it's it's moved around, right? Like the punks were the sort of the BTC, like the, the blue chip. And now I actually just saw something yesterday. I think that the board apes actually passed them maybe for the floor or some metric. I don't know what specifically, could you maybe tell me a little bit? Cause I'm less familiar with the project. I'm just going to shoot over here. For example, like, you know, looking here, what what is the floor currently and what's like the difference between this? And I know like, Again, it's becoming popular. Like I know OBJ with CryptoPunks, we see. I'll show Steph Curry here. You know, he's got the the blue one. Like, what's the difference, maybe, in value between the two? They look actually pretty similar. Or, well, I mean, one's blue, one's red. Can you maybe tell me a bit about the features, characteristics, and how these compare um, between these two, but also between CryptoPunks and Bored Ape Yacht Club? Those are the two clear biggest ones right now. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, those are definitely. I would say the two biggest. Like. Uh, what they call PFP, like the profile picture avatar projects. You know, this this guy on my avatar is not top, top tier, but he's like pretty good. I got him because I liked the aesthetic. I thought it was, you know, Bored Apes are a project where I think they don't necessarily all have great aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And so like you could do it on rarity, but some rare stuff doesn't necessarily have great aesthetics as well. And some that's more discounted have fantastic aesthetic so this guy i just thought he looked like he vibed he was cool right like i think he looks good so i got him purely off aesthetic and vibe and like nothing to do with rarity but i would say he's probably like i don't know maybe like double the floor roughly like nothing crazy and steph's is probably i don't know like 50 percent above floor like the blue fur the rarest um the rarest apes are like the gold fur Uh, They have a trait called solid gold. Those are like really high value. Millions of dollar sales have gone off. I think I saw one that had like laser beam eyes that was 740 ETH. uh, And that was even before the latest run. So you can definitely like pick a pretty scarce one and spend millions on an Ape. Uh, But yeah, now the foot in the door is 50 ETH. So it's really gone up a
0: lot. It's up there with CryptoPunks now. Yeah, yeah, it's all—I mean, yeah—it's bounced around, but CryptoPunks have dipped a bit, but it's—it's it's all part of the ride, right? That's part of the fun—that it never stops, never sleeps. Crypto—it's like you know, if you like action, crypto is for you because it's, its all you could wake up in the middle of the night, use the restroom, and uh, be, be not want to—you know—it can—it can shock you. Um, give me a bit yeah. of a, a look in how you relax and unwind. You have so many projects, so many opportunities. Uh, what does it get overwhelming, or is it just all fun? Because even like looking behind you you know, with all these boxes and stuff, like I'm sure there's not enough time in the day, right? You got meetings scheduled in this, that, you got all the other stuff you have going on. Tell me how you sort of unwind and and relax or do you? Yeah, I have really two things. One is with collectibles, but my, like
1: I was saying, my relationship with collectibles is not, um, I would say so rigorous in terms of like, I need to squeak out all of the alpha perfectly. And, you know, I'm also trying to have fun with it. I'm also buying things that I just like that don't make sense, you know? And so I do have a lot of friends who are collecting, you know, sports cards, NFTs, purely looking at it as value, like almost like, is there an arbitrage here or um, basically like a sole proprietor, right? You're just like, I'm going to find ways to earn money from this. Mm -hmm. And that just isn't really my relationship with it.
0: So I'm able to have fun just, you know, this is a release for me, just buying things that I right. like. Also, like You you don't want to be a fish because it's like you want to make good bets and you want to get stuff you love, but you also don't want to lose 50, 60, 80 percent to have some cards uh, away. So I think that there's a learning curve, just like anything getting in. But obviously having smart, sharp guys like Gary Vee or Jason or people around, you know, it helps. Right. Like the the more you guys are sharing information and what works, what doesn't. You know, it's hot and um, it's got to be got to be really yeah really fun give me a little bit of a look in terms of a typical day what what is uh you know you have scheduled stuff is is you have an assistant and obviously in in scheduling is it just crazy are you like literally day-to-day back-to-back every 15 30 minute meetings or do you does it just depend very very day-to-day like give me your give me today for example what it looks like for you yeah the DraftKings like job
1: is interesting because we do have a are traditional work hours but all the games are at night as well so i feel like it's kind of like nine to five plus all the games happen at night so you're really just always paying attention so that's how yeah. I think I, i've ended up getting into like a whatever 70 80 hours checked in on DraftKings a week and yeah so i would say like pretty traditional though in terms of like i wake up i start my job at like eight o'clock after i drop my kids off to school That are like working, meetings, Zoom calls, whatever, business development stuff, uh, project roadmap meetings, talking about marketing plans for things that are coming up, um, recruiting, team building. Like I mix all of those things in my schedule. Uh, And then, yeah, by the end of the day, like five, six o'clock, I'm usually just trying to like wind down the like formal part. And then I check in on just what's going on in sports. Uh, this year, I got season tickets to the Celtics. So I've been like, that's a meaningful commitment. I've been to like almost every game and, you know, just trying to also be present like after work with my kids. Just, I have a sixth grader and a third grader, two daughters. And so wow. that's like, now that they're a little bit older, like my older one's getting homework. She has like real things happening. It's middle school like girl yeah. situation. So yeah. re- real, real life stuff is coming up. And I feel like these years are like pretty formative and I want to make sure I'm engaged there as well. So like, I'm trying to make sure that I'm, you know, carving off the appropriate focus there and staying checked in and engaged.
0: Are they, do they think it's pretty cool what you do? Are they involved in sports at all? And do they, do they like know kind of the scale and what you're doing or is it just kind of like, Oh, you know, dad works for DraftKings draft and, Kings and is involved with some sports. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, like, I think my oldest daughter's like my biggest troll kind of on this stuff. Like she of everyone, she might be like the least impressed with anything that I have going on. <laughs> she's just like, I remember I, she came home from school and she's like, Dad, you only have like 2000 Instagram followers. I like know people have millions of Instagram followers. Just pulls up, you know, the milios or something.
0: Yeah, that's it's, like okay, I can't
1: win. You, but right. yeah, you know, it's, it's like a good time. I think that they're starting to be aware of like what DraftKings
0: is—the kind of position. yeah. I'm sure, yeah. They got their their friends that are boys and stuff too are probably like man, like exactly like, that's the coolest thing in the world. They're like your dad running like the cool site or like the biggest thing for sports. So yeah, it's got to be kind of cool. But yeah, that's good. They keep you in check, you know. They heat check you and 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 want to show the, the compare, you know. Yeah, they yeah. don't <laughs> let you get too carried away because it is pretty. You do have a cool job. I'd say the dream sort of situation job in, in sports if that's what you like doing. So uh, it's very cool. I got to ask you about poker. Are you surprised that poker is not legal in the majority of USA states, especially with, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, sports legal at a federal level, and there's still some say, states that you can't play daily fantasy in, I believe, like maybe like eight or 10 or something like that. But does that surprise you that, like, it's not the same rules for poker? Because, I mean, I would say poker is much more skilled than daily fantasy or at least compare it like <clears> – <throat> What, it's similar, right? So, like, uh, is, does that shock you, or is it just, like, how it lobbying and, you know, just, just because of Black Friday? Like, give me give me your outlook on poker and, and what the comparisons are and what the issue is, why it's not uh, fully legal in the U.S. Yeah,
1: I think there's a good bit of momentum. Like, I know Michigan launched recently. I think yeah. – um,
0: Pennsylvania as well. I'm from Michigan. Yeah. My dad plays every day. He still lives there, and, you know, it's uh, – it, yeah, it's great. Those are, those are fairly major states, too, so –
1: Yeah, there is a time, I I remember, like, I would say maybe like 2008, 2009, where a lot of people, I think, from the industry believed that poker would become sort of uh, regulated in every state. It would be a really big business in the U.S. That hasn't really happened yet online. I do think, though, like with the general momentum, legislatively, with sports betting, with iGaming, poker is kind of included in that momentum, and... You know, I don't, I'd be speculating to even say like why it didn't go better. My guess would be that there just wasn't that many stakeholders. Like, like, if you think about sports, like leagues, teams, athletes, media companies, everybody wants to see this happen and thinks, even like consumers think in general, I should be able to bet on a game. So there's not a lot of like detraction from it. And a lot of people want to see it happen. You know, leagues want more engagement, athletes want their fans to get closer to them through betting, like media companies want viewership on the games. There's just like a lot of interest and fans want to do it. Right. overwhelming, like 70% favorability in referendums kind of thing. With poker, there's not a lot of stakeholders, you know, it's pretty much just the operator and players. And I think maybe that was a little tough to get momentum when people have busy, (laughs) like if you're a legislator, you have a million things you want to get done. And it's like, who's really beating down my door to get this bill passed? Like, right. You know, I wonder if it's just kind of like wasn't bubbling up high enough, kind of thing.
0: But do you do you think in the next five ten years, like is it? would If you had to bet in 10, 2025, do you believe that? Like, what would be your prediction? If you have you given any thought to it, or like would you would it shock you if not half the states or more by twenty twenty five are are legal for poker? Or do you just or no idea? Do you have any kind of hypothesis on that?
1: I mean, I don't have a hypothesis on that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more states move in that direction. And I think consumers appreciate having like a regulated, safe product that they know that like if I put money on that, there's going to be some kind of oversight. I know Mm -hmm. that there's always downside, like maybe (laughs) because of taxes and the overhead, there's more rake or something like there could be things that detract from it. But in general, like you don't want to have like a lack of availability of a product you really want to play. You know, you don't have to go to like a, a offshore situation that you don't trust or you don't know, like how your money's getting out or if you can can rely on it to get out every time. Right. You you, you want to know the software has been looked at and that it's fair. Like and so I think that there's a lot of benefits to like a regulation around poker in the U.S. The other thing, too, is like as more states pass it, the prizes get bigger. Like if you can pool the liquidity, if people can come together in the same tournaments. The product just gets better because more people are coming together under one umbrella. So, yeah, I think these packs like I know Nevada has a compact with New Jersey and I think Delaware's in there. Like as the states put together their liquidity and the product gets more interesting, I think there'll be more demand for states to like jump in as well.
0: That makes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I got to ask you about co-founder with Jason Robbins being co-founder with Jason Robbins you guys normally see eye to eye or have there been some challenges with major decisions maybe based on a little bit different backgrounds or or viewpoints like as there a, does any moment in particular stand out where it was like you were dead set one way he was the other and you know how do you guys sort of as the two co-founder you said you mentioned a third name but you know, in the decision making on big stuff how, how does that work are you guys pretty much are you able to chat openly liberally and, and make good decisions or is it like sometimes like wow no like this is how i feel and this is how he feels and we don't know what to do yeah, it's interesting.
1: Like we have a great relationship. I think Jason's one of the truly like elite CEOs, tech CEOs in the country. If you take any like name a company that's kind of as big as DraftKings growing as fast with as much future kind of opportunity as as we have, like how we got into this position, Jason's been the CEO the whole time, right? He's pulling the strings. He's the one raising money, he's the one approving budgets and roadmaps and hiring plans and everything. Like he's I think operating at a really elite level and you know, he's in a position where he has to aggregate everything. I think my world's a lot simpler where I just kind of provide voice of the customer, if that makes sense. So uh, our CFO probably hates me. Like I don't, I don't care about, you know, how our IR team is doing or feeling sometimes, you know what I mean? Like it's, I serve the customer, I do our marketing, I do our operations. My job is like customers loving our product customers being engaged like that's really what you know i focus my time on so when i'm talking to jason like that's the perspective i'm bringing he then has to integrate that with everything else and kind of like make decisions you know so i feel like there's never really conflict because i'm just providing like a kind of pure perspective on something that you know i'm one piece of the puzzle and he has to aggregate
0: everything does that make sense it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I just, yeah, it seems, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot at stake, big decisions and probably some, I, I imagine even if you guys see, I, I generally, there's been some, yeah, some times where it's not always just like you see exactly the same, but I guess that's part of the fun. And, and also if you guys really have a great relationship, it, it doesn't make it too hard, right? You guys know you're in the same common interest and in, in looking to do the same thing. Um, I, there's a, I know you're tight on time here. If we got to close it up, man, I'd love to have you on again in the future, maybe Jason or both of you at some point, but you know, there's a lot of questions and hopefully you'll be able to take a peek, you know, later on and, and see if there's any need to answer. Because I, I do think you got to get going. Look at all that. Look, People want to know, man. Look at this. There's a lot of a lot of questions uh, here. Uh, how, how are you on? T- you have a two o'clock right now or pretty much you got to hop off here.
1: Yeah, I got to bounce. But what I could do is maybe I could just go in and start like hitting
0: some of them off on Twitter. Should I do that? That would be fun. That would be fun, and I am going to do a uh, a fifty dollar giveaway. I'm going to give away someone who engaged, so I can do that uh, offline here. I know because you do have to zoom out, but um, we'll uh, we'll make sure we give the the uh, the giveaway here. And uh, man, I really appreciate it. It was nice to finally get to chat, and I appreciate you. You know, I, I John told me that you did you had some poker background, and I maybe you had seen or heard of my podcast. So you know, I really do appreciate you coming on, and um, you know, I hope we can do it again and, and chat. Uh, as well and hopefully yeah yeah
1: I've watched some of the YouTubes and stuff in the past as well and like really appreciated your content we should catch a game sometime maybe like I'm in Vegas a good bit and like would love to get together maybe play a game
0: I'm I'm in Miami primarily I don't know if you get down here at all but I I do have a place in Vegas and Miami's my my hub but I'm sure you know yeah maybe the Celtics game down here or you know, I do hop up to Boston sometimes so yeah it'd it'd be great to meet in person and and hang out, and I uh, really do appreciate it. I learned a lot, and this is very interesting. And I mentioned you before; a little unfortunate, had a shot to be involved in 2013 late via via Jason, and a couple friends, and unfortunately their team passed on it. But either way, I'm a supporter and I'm a shareholder in DraftKings, so I, uh, you know, I'm, I do have a little little sweat in it, a little bet on it. So. Love to hear that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you shouldn't
1: feel too bad about the early stage thing. Like we heard no a million times, and yes, like very rarely. So. In those early stages, investors are, you know, I think we had like 40 no's before our first yes on our seed round, you know, yeah. probably heard like no 20 times and yes once in our A round, you know, it's tough to pull the trigger on these like high risk early stage companies and, you know, yeah. just as long as you get enough
0: of them, right, then you're fine. You know? Well, I just want you to let it be known. I, I was a hard yes. I fought and I got overruled by much more sophisticated and whatever. But listen, sometimes, you know, that's what that like I, in the right generation. And like, that's why I like being around 20, 25 year olds and stuff too. I like seeing what the trends are, what's hot, kind of get a feel for what's going on. Cause I think there's usually, they're onto something and they give you a different perspective. But anyway, I'll let you run. Thank you so much for that guys. This was uh number one fifty eight, Matt Kalish from the DraftKings. He is now president and co-founder. Appreciate that very much. Give him a follow on the socials, Instagram, Twitter. We'll put it in the video below and this will be out on all the audio outlets the major ones as well as on youtube as you are probably watching right now so thanks thank you to matt and uh, appreciate everyone watching thank you jeff have a good one sweet you too thanks for listening to this episode it was brought to you in partnership with party poker go to partypoker.com to play tournaments cash games and improve your poker game make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes